as you guys know, Tyler, but we'll give you a, a quick intro. Tyler's been in door to door basically his whole life. But what what age did your dad start you knocking doors? Uh, we were like 13. He he got window washing equipment for my brothers and I, and we started getting dropped off in neighborhoods to wash windows. So let's go. Was 13. We started. Been knocking. a long time. Yeah, I, I worked back and forth at Vivint for a period of seven years, but it, you know, kind of different times, a couple different times, split off and, and kind of did my own thing. So I've had experience in small companies and trying to get some things kicked off that didn't necessarily go where I wanted them to. Ended up back and forth there and always had a great experience at Vivint. So nothing, nothing, nothing but appreciation for all my time there. It was good, good time spent, man. Learned a lot. And then 2020 comes around with COVID and you and Adam and Spencer. Yep, that's when we started the whole traveling, uh, you know, 1020 style program, the X channel at uh, Legacy, same thing. A lot of appreciation for our, for our uh, time spent there and everything we learned, and it, it was a really, really great time. Weird time to start a business and, and uh, played in our favor, so yeah. worked out. Let's start there. I mean, uh, we were talking earlier about this, about like a weird time starting the business. I remember I felt weird because I came out on like on your fourth trip that you guys started doing. Yeah, you were early. Ben Ben jumped in with us like yeah, third third fourth trip fourth trip fourth trip my fourth wife, trip in. My wife was freaking out. She's like, you can't go knock doors. You've never knocked doors before. A and B, it's COVID. Everyone's like home, and I'm like, yeah, everyone's home. It's the best. But it was like a Saturday every day. Everyone was home. So it was it was it was great. I'm thinking because you and I were talking about how this training, how we really want to kick it off with it being about all about being able to adapt right yep um, yeah theme theme for this live training guys i guess i should be looking here not a ben i'm looking at ben all the time but yeah 100 percent theme for this live training is adapting adapting to change adapting to you know change in market change in in personal circumstances things that might affect you mentally emotionally physically things that affect your job things that are out of your control things that are in your control like regardless of what it is like yeah, theme of today is how to adapt to change, 100%. So we were talking earlier about one of your favorite quotes, Charles Darwin. I mean, probably a lot of you guys, I know my brother Tay knows this quote, but it says, it's not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that is the most adaptable to change. So kind of talk to us a little bit about there, kind of maybe that would be a great way to start it off. Why did you want to kind of go with this adapting theme and why this quote? Well, first, first, first thing before I be like, that's my favorite quote, and I'm super sharp, and Darwin is what I pulled out. No, no, no. Ben found that quote. I just simply loved that quote, <laughs> and it met exactly with what we were looking to do. So that's I'm being told I got to get the mic a little bit closer for hopefully everybody can hear me a little better. So, no, that is first. That is Ben's finding. But I could not agree more with that quote. And, you know, when we jump into a sales training and we're talking about you know, who survives and, and who thrives and who rises to the top 20% and the top 4% and the top 1%, which is the 20 of the 20 of the 20. It's, it's a hundred percent. It's a difference of, of who's the most adaptable to change because it does not matter what industry you're in, especially in door to door. It's always changing. Something is changing. Your market is changing. The pricing is changing. Compet competition is changing. Recruiting game. Is, it's constant change. There's always something, there's always a problem. There's always a negative and your ability to adapt to whatever that negative is, or just simply that change, even if it's not negative, it's just different. Um, 100% will be the difference of whether you thrive and, and continue to perform or, or whether you don't, right? So there's multiple reasons, you know, we really wanted to touch on adapting right now. Um, but primarily because 
specific to those who are listening that are a part of Vital, right? Not everybody is. Some of you guys just might have hopped on to, to see if there's any uh, you know golden nuggets I might drop here. So sorry if that's not the case. But from Vital's standpoint, you know we've had a lot of our our teams and our salespeople. Our entire field has spent a lot of time in California over the past year. You know, a lot of focus has been on financial products as as far as PPAs are concerned. And we're going to see a huge shift with a lot of the NEM three you know, 3.0 changes in California. We've got a lot of our teams that are now leaving that state and they're going to go through a change. They're going to go through a change of market. They're going to go through a change of product and pricing and what their focus is. They're going to be, you know, talking to different people with different demographics and different culture. And, you know, their leadership's going to be in a different mind state. Like there's about to be a lot of change, you know? So I thought there was nothing better that, uh, that we could talk about right now than adapting to that change. And if you're not on, you know, Instagram live right now and you're, you're not a part of vital, but you're in the solar industry maybe, or maybe you're just in some other industry or maybe there's a lot of change going on in your life, but specific to solar, there's an incredible amount of change right now, right? Like an incredible amount. We, we've got, geez, financial change has, has absolutely altered our industry completely over the past year from interest rates with the Fed now affecting our financing companies that now affects the financing rates, which ultimately affect the value proposition to the customer and, and and what the pricing strategy is when we walk into home. So there's a lot of different uh, things that have been changing, you know, competition in the market. And in general, we hope today that, yeah, touching a little bit on adaptation and how to adapt to change and, and why that's so important and the mentality of that. Um, I don't think there's anything more important that we could be touching on. And I think the biggest point we want to make is, you know, I've got different you know, things that we'll mention from the past that I've adapted to that, you know, maybe will ring home to some of, you, some of the listeners here. And also some of the more recent things we've had to adapt to as a reminder of what we've been able to adapt to. And I think that's important to remind ourselves of, of all that we've, we've accomplished. Um, but more importantly, we're going to spend the majority of this talking about the upcoming things we have to adapt to and how we can get our minds right to prepare rather than wait till it's upon us. And all of a sudden it's just hitting us. Um, but outside of little, little nuggets that we may focus on with upcoming changes that, that, you know, the specifics to how we can adapt, I think the overall understanding that anybody listening right now needs to have is adapting to change is not, it's not about the specifics. It's not about like, if I'm going to sell PPA versus a loan, well, what's the best way to sell a loan? What phrase do I use to explain a loan so well that this customer is like, I want that. That's not what it is right? Like those are important things to learn of how to, how to present it in a clear, you know, precise way that that's, that's, you know, the customer just understands it. There's great value that could be done and I could do that well, but so could you. And so can your managers, you guys that you're working for. And so can leaders across the entire industry. The point is that knowledge exists. It's there. Thousands and thousands of customers are signing up for loans in every single solar viable state in the United States right now. So it's not a question of whether that can be done. It's just a question of who is going to adapt the quickest to it. So it's not an if, it's who and how fast, right? That's all today is about is, is what, what is the mentality you have to have to adapt to change? Because if you approach it with that, I'm going to adapt. I'm going to win. I don't care what the change is. I will rise to the top faster than everybody else. And here's how I'm going to do it. Because it's just a process. It's, it's a process of adapting to change. And some people do it really, really quickly. And others, it takes a little bit longer and that's okay. But the first step is becoming aware that there's going to be a change, becoming aware that you're going to have to adapt to it. And the longer you push back against it, the harder it's going to be for you. So hopefully that's really what we can accomplish today is is, is touching on the mentality it takes to adapt to change and, and you know, 
getting through to those who maybe haven't had to go through as much change or haven't had, uh, haven't had to figure out how to do it quicker, right? Or how to do it more efficiently or how to do it the right mind state. If we can get that through by resonating, by mentioning things in the past where, that we've had to overcome, or maybe me specifically, I know you've got some questions today, things more recently that we can, we can remind people of that we've, yeah. we've had to go through. You know, I think just stories of people adapting to change and understanding, like, hopefully there's just an inspiration and, there, and there's a level, you know, um, of influence we can have today on those out there going through change, whether it's personal or professional, right? Because we all go through it, so. Let's talk about this because, you know, something I think you're a genius at, and I think what's differentiated your, like, the Legacy X, the vital experience versus other dealers that start and go bankrupt or people start and they don't grow is you're really good at building like brand identity you're really good at building that identity of what it does it mean to be at vital everyone knows it means to be uncommon yep. and you've kind of just dis- like you've kind of harped on that a little bit more about how it's a lot of about the grit and it's all about the people who adapt are the people who are part of vital talk to me about kind of the origins of the company where it came from how you built that identity and why you feel that it is like that yeah so i mean i think that comes from comes from a couple different things, but first thing you mentioned is identity, right? Which to me, identity is culture at the, at the end of the day. And that's a huge difference maker in our industry right now. And I think it's one thing that is, that is helping vital become who we are, right? Or (laughs) being who we are is helping us become reaching our full potential is probably the better way to put it. There's a lot of solar companies out there right now. There's a lot of different places you can go succeed. It's not that we're not the only place. But what I will say is there's a lot of them that don't stand out. There's a lot of them that don't have anything different. There's, there's a lot of them that are just doing the bare minimum, which is we started a sales company, we found an installer, and that's just what we are, and here you go. There's not a lot of other substance to it that that make it different. And if you don't have something that's a little bit different, then at the end of the day, you, you don't have something to recruit to. You don't have something to bring people into that they're going to feel different you're not going to retain your people. It's going to be an ever flowing, you know, door, um, of attrition. And that's, that's what hits door to door companies often as people come and go. Right. And so I think one thing that's allowed us to, to stabilize during a time, you know, of chaos from the beginning, when we started from COVID all the way to, you know, a lot of the changes that have happened over the past year is because of our identity. You know, we, we just had for any of you guys who listened to the last vital live we did on Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night. We had the, uh, you know, we had the opportunity to have Casey Bach come and speak to us, um, for an hour, hour and a half on uh, Thursday night. And this is the second time. So shout to, you know, shout out to Casey or anybody who knows him. Um, dude's been just an absolute stud for no reason at all, other than to just be cool to, to come join and, and, uh, you know, give back to the community of door to door. And, you know, we all worked together a little bit of Vivint. So he was, you know, just open to come speak to us and super grateful. But we talked about this plan that he has in this morning routine that he follows. And part of it was stating his own identity in as many possible ways he can, right? Like, who am I? He talks about writing down a list of like 80 different things that he does to remind himself every single morning and manifest who he is, right? And I think that's a huge deal both personally to, to individually that we all f- find a way to do right to to remind yourself like who you are i'm a creator i am this i am that i am strong I, like so he does all these things and i think that's a really powerful tool um but i also think that flows to to companies there's an identity as far as a company goes and that's kind of that's been in us from the very very beginning you know i'd like to think some of that comes because as an individual i went through a lot of things earlier on personally 
in my professional career that required me to adapt. And so when, you know, o- over time, I'd like to think that I've tried to insert that into the business that we've started here. And it was like the perfect timing when things hit with COVID. It was like, we had been going to California. Yeah. It, it, this is this is a repeat. We're literally following the exact same steps we took as a business. We I'd been in California for three years only selling, not only selling PPAs, but, you know, I'd been in California for three years and that was it. And our team started there. And then COVID hit and California was not the place to be. Everybody knows it. Like it was on lockdown. So we pivoted to Texas and, and other markets that were, you know, not quite so hot from a COVID standpoint. We tried to hit smaller B markets where it wasn't big cities. There wasn't as much, you know, stress around that. Um, and we had to pivot and we had to adapt. So from day one, like that kind of just became established as part of our identity. And we'd take these 10 day trips and, you know, we went out in times and we had, there was hurricanes that would hit or there was that like, you name it, we had to go blitz in the winter when it was freezing cold. And that's not normally the time that people produce, you know, in door to door. And so there's been a lot of little things that we've, I think we've just made that a part of our identity is we adapt. It does not matter what's coming this trip. It does not matter what's different. It does not matter the change we're going to go through. It doesn't matter the product we're going to sell, the state we're going to sell it to, or what the weather is going to be like. We're going to go and we're going to do exactly what we always do, which is adapt and produce. And it's become a part of our identity to just be gritty and find a way, no matter what. Like, we're going to find a way. It's not if, it's how. And so I think that's really, really helped us by establishing that. And I think it's become a part of our culture. And I think when people join us, I think that's one of the biggest differentiators is they feel it. You know, they feel it, they feed off of it, and and they're not on an island alone. They They feel like they're part of a community and culture, and it helps them insert that into their own identity. Or at least I hope it does. That's I think that's our goal. No, I think right. That's where the uncommon part, you know, comes in. That's not. Up all the way down. It's yeah. Like the, I remember on my second trip when we came out and we were in Midland, Texas, George W. Bush territory, and oil prices just dropped. Plummeted to the floor. Plummeted. It was like yeah. negative 50 bucks a barrel. And I remember. Like, Everybody's losing their jobs. Yeah. All of our customers. It's like, it wasn't just COVID. Like, yeah, oil went through the floor and everyone was losing their jobs. I remember Spencer, like Spencer was managing me at the time. I was like, hey. What do we get? What do I say to them? Like, they're like, I just lost my job. Why would I? Why do I take out a loan for best time to buy? It literally, yeah. They just like, it's no hesitation, just like adapted instantly. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to, you still have to pay a utility bill, right? Yeah. So if you lost your job, first last thing you're going to stop paying is your utility bill because you still need power. So at least we can do is stabilize it. In a time in a time of chaos and inconsistency, let's find consistency. You know, so it's just adapting to crazy things. Well, maybe let's jump in a little bit more on your personal life too, because as a business, it's pretty evident how you guys have made these, how, how it's like adapted and become this behemoth of a giant that it is today. I mean, we're going to hit how many installs this month? I think we're tracking for 300, which, you know, I'm, I'm not, we're not going to brag about that yet at all. Okay. We've got a, we got a lot of movement to do. I think that's our number one opportunity is to continue to get our pull through up and focus on that. And we've got some incredible initiatives that are starting to drive that up and up and up. So really, really excited for that. Um, but that's trailing from three months ago, sales off, you know, five, 600 accounts. And so it's, it's trending all the right directions. I think we're doing well. And from a sales standpoint, you know, for the last three months in a row, we've, we've broken our record every single month and continue to have month over month growth. And I think we'll be somewhere between 900 and a thousand this month, which is, which is big numbers to pull in March. So super proud of the field for, you know, again, for everybody who's listening right now, that's a part of Vital. Like guys, super impressive. Like what you guys are accomplishing right now, massive, you know, um, but we're not going to stop. We're going to find a way to keep pushing through it. And that's what today's about, which is, hey, how do we continue to see such momentum and such growth as we pivot to totally different markets? 
And really the answer is because it has nothing to do with the market. Everybody thinks it does. I know there's obviously a lot of momentum in California because there's that urgency, but it's on us to always create that urgency. We should always have that urgency because it's a better thing for somebody to go solar. So as long as we're explaining it in the right way, they'll have the same urgency they do now because they'll want to do it. As if we're talking people into going solar, then they're like, they're kicking against it. It's like, oh, you're going to have high cans. Not as many people are going to sign. If they caught the vision, if we build enough value in a home, if they truly understand the value of going solar and they found it in a clean, easy way to do it, they, they want to buy. And when people want to buy in our day and age, they don't want to buy and wait ever. That's not like it's, it's Amazon style, right? Like we want to click a button and have it tomorrow. So if, if we've sold something properly, if somebody wants something, urgency is not going to matter because it's already there. They want it, you know? So I think, you know, hopefully we can hit on some of that today, but it really, oh, yeah, I think, I think we're going to keep that momentum up and, and hopefully, you know, individually you guys can all adopt that mentality of like, nah, we're going to, we're going to create the urgency. We're going to create the change, not sit back and hope the other markets are just as good. That's no. It's good everywhere right now. Yep. Um, so talking about that, it sounds like this has been ingrained to you at like an early age, like this idea of adapting, constantly changing, not if I'm going to change, but how am I going to change figuring that out? What are some experiences kind of growing up that kind of, where that was instilled in you maybe from your dad or any time in your upbringing? Um, personally, honestly, the first thing, uh, as I was thinking back to times, I think I told you about this a little bit before we started, but as I was thinking back to times that I've had to adapt early on and things that maybe influenced me on that, I went back to sports, you know, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Maybe not to my sport. Most probably can't because I played tennis and very few people did that. Um, but where I think tennis really affected me a lot is it's a single sport. So you have to look internally really quickly. There's, you can't push any blame. You can't be like, well, so-and-so played bad, or I only got the ball this, this, you know, this frequently or whatever the case is, or I wasn't, you know, I was on the bench. Um, I had to look at myself internally really quickly. And if I lost or something was happening, like it, I, I had to make a change. I had to adapt or I was going to keep getting the exact same result. Right. Um, and I remember this moment, this was such a big deal to me at the time. Like it was just huge. I'm like 14 now, I'm about 15 years old. I finally started to get really good at tennis. I'm playing some pretty serious tournaments and I'm actually playing well. And I'm in the middle of a lesson with my coach. And he notices that my forehand is looking just a little bit off. Not that I'm not hitting the ball great. I'm hitting it great. Probably the best I've ever hit it up at this point in time in my, in my life, right? But he's like, your grip's off by like this much. We're talking like a half a centimeter at best, right? He's like, it's off. And I'm noticing you're starting to shift it that way. And if you keep doing that, it's going to slowly shift. It's really going to throw off all of your technique, your basic core fundamentals, and eventually it's going to start causing you problems. I need you to shift it back. And I shifted it back, right, in this moment. And a half a centimeter on a tennis grip or, you know, same thing with golf. If any of you guys play golf or whatever, a half a centimeter, dude, my balls were hitting the curtain. Like they're flying out. I'm missing every ball by feet, right? And, and that small tweak, it was brutal. And I had to hit just ball after ball after ball after ball after ball and it was just i remember every lesson for the next few months it's the only thing we did was one shot to the same place ball after ball you know and it was tiring like i remember because normally you're shifting it up you're hitting different shot it was just the same thing over and i remember my arm was ready to fall off and it was so frustrating but that little tweak 
change the whole foundation, right? So I remember just learning little things like that, I think, helped train my mind, like how important it is to learn and adapt and repetitive behavior until you get something down so you can do it quick. But that one change, if I never would have done it, that would have affected my entire career, my entire game. Because that was probably my most important shots, the most hit shot I have, you know? So little things like that, I remember like in a big way. And that's, you know, that's not some impactful thing that you listeners are going to take away right now and be like, ah, well, thank you for teaching about my tennis grip. But what it is hopefully is something you guys can look back on and whether it was sports or, or, you know, maybe you played a music instrument, right? I can only imagine a little centimeter off on a guitar and how much that changes a ton, you know, so you get in bad habits or just there's something that has to change. And if you fight it, it doesn't work. So as change is coming, like if you can just accept it and accept the fact that you're going to have to do something different and it takes repetitive behavior of that different thing over and over and over until you get good at it. So if you stop fighting, you just start doing it over and over and over and preparing it, preparing yourself mentally for it and physically to whatever that change is, like you're going to do it a lot quicker and just believe that you can. So for everybody listening, I hope really what you're taking away is you've probably adapted to something before. You can probably think of a time you had to make a small shift. You could probably think of all the little things you had to do to overcome it quicker. And again, the whole point of the day is being able to think back to things you've done before and have belief in yourself that you can adapt so that as other changes come in the future, you could do that. And I think we just have to lean on past experiences of what we've done to adapt to remind ourselves like, no, I've, I've adapted before. Yeah. Cause th- this month's going to come, right? And some of you guys listening right now, you're going to get out into a new market. You're going to be talking to somebody new. You're not going to understand the utility company as well. Cause maybe you didn't spend as much time studying all the details of the rate plans you should have. You're going to get caught on your heels. You're going to feel dumb. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to walk off of a doorstep and think I would have got that appointment in California. Damn, these people suck. And you're going to find a way to start complaining about the market or the people or the, or loan versus you're going to find something that feels hard right? And you're going to start pushing back. And it's in that moment where you go, oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm, I'm pushing back. Yeah. And then hopefully you can lean back and remind yourself of times that you've overcome something and have belief that you can do it. And then hopefully you can look around and see that others have figured out how to adapt as well and that you're going to get it. It's going to be okay. Let's just, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's, like, let's go. So let, maybe let's adapt that tennis analogy a little bit deeper with, when it comes to like all of our teams leaving California. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to these new markets, what would you do if you were a rep going to a new market? What would you do to adjust that tennis grip a little bit more? Yeah. How would you kind of dive in? How would you be prepared so that you're not adjusting your golf swing in the tee box per se, but you've already figured it out before you get out onto this golf Yeah, absolutely. So again, this is this is super specific to anybody listening to those, you know, um, within Vital who are getting ready to go on our, our you know, we, for those of you who don't know, we work for 10 days a month, right? Whether... You're on our local teams who are in market or whether you're on our X teams, which are traveling teams who take off. Um, we work for 10 days a month. So our trip's coming up and I think it's about a week from Friday. So we're, we're just less than two weeks out, right? So this is perfect timing for this call if you're listening, guys, because I'm going to call out some things that if I were going to a different market right now, where my head would be. What would I be thinking about and what would I do in the next you know week and a half, two weeks to prepare myself as much as possible for this change so that when it hits me, it doesn't hit as hard. I don't have as much pushback. I don't have as much to overcome and learn because I've already prepared myself. So no, a couple things off the top, right, is you might be changing a state or a market. So that's probably the first thing is like you're literally going to a different physical environment. What might be different there? Well, the demographics might be different, right? So I probably at least want to be aware of those. 
where am I going to be knocking? If I top, talk to my leader, do I know what type of neighborhood I'm, I'm going to be in yet? What's the area change? Is there a different culture? What is this community like? How much could I learn and study about that, about what the people are like there? How is that different from where I've been? That may seem like a small thing, but shoot, I remember the first time I went to Philadelphia and, and I was selling alarms at the time and I had come from selling in Texas. Oh my gosh, we're talking night and day, different type of people. You go talk to people in Philly and it's just, oh, it's hard, it's fast, it's blunt. And if you've never experienced that, you're going to think everybody's just a total dick. Like it can be rough. But what I found was it's the exact opposite. They just want to get to the point. They don't want to waste time. So once I got good at speaking to them and being really clear and confident right up front, get to the point, give them the value proposition and move forward, I could save so much time. I could sell everybody faster. But in the beginning, it was it was like, oh, shoot, I'm not used to this much. I had more time on doorsteps in other places. And I didn't hear so I had to get better. I had to adapt. I had to become more efficient. I had to work on my elevator pitch and shorten it from one minute to 25 seconds, you know? And so just be aware of that. Who, who are you speaking to? What are the, what are the home styles? How does the home styles different? You know, how are they different? You might be working in parts of uh, a neighborhood where maybe the garages are in the back instead of front. So you can't tell who's home because they park behind. That's super annoying because there's no driveways and cars and I can't see the oil spots and I don't know who's parking where. Like, it's really annoying and really frustrating. So I have to start looking for different signs of life instead of that, right? So little things like that, mentally preparing for them, it, it's, it's huge. So I would know my market. I would know where I'm going. The cities I'm going to be working in. What are the permitting times like? Do I already know that in advance? Have I mentally prepared for the timelines and the effect that's going to have on my customers, the expectations I need to set? Am I mentally prepared for how that's going to affect my timelines? And my customers' timelines, which ultimately mean my pay. And am I making proper decisions with my pay now to prepare myself that so I don't get in a tough spot or just a different spot? Those are all things I'd be thinking about. Is there HOAs? And maybe I've been working places that didn't have HOAs and I didn't have to gather that information, but I'm going to here. Ton of little different things just about the state you're going to go work in, the culture, the people, how to speak to them, how to work with them, what's different. So go. I would go learn what's different. And I would start studying that right now. And I would think about how that might change how I approach people. Even though I'm going to use the same approach, I might need to tweak it just a half millimeter. But that half millimeter, might it might feel like a lot in the beginning. So let's practice that before. Um, utility companies. That's, that's a huge shift, right? So I want people to be thinking about this. If I'm going to a different market, I'm going to be probably, not probably, I'm talking about a different utility company. So I've been in California and maybe I'm really comfortable with Edison or PG&E or SDG&E, depending on where I've been selling, right? And I know their price per kilowatt. I know their rate plans, right? I know how they charge. So I know that it's a tiered system or maybe I know that it's time of use and I become so confident in that. It's just easy. It's second nature to talk about it because it's all you do all day. Now you go to a different market. It's not second nature anymore. Learning the utility company is everything and you don't need to wait till you get to market for that. Go get a picture of the bills out there immediately. If you don't know the rate plans before you show up, the exact average price per kilowatt hours, like this is all your fault if you don't know this. It's not your manager's fault. It's nobody else. You can get online. You can find all this information and there's zero reason you shouldn't have every single ounce of it before you are out there, 100%, right? Um, the, the bills specifically, I said study the bills, but it's not just what's the price per kilowatt, what's the rate plan, what are the distribution charges? What are the delivery charges? Is there a parent company? Am I going to Texas where it's deregulated and there's 
two, 300 different utility companies. What are the most popular ones? What's the number one, two, and three I'm going to find? How much can I learn about those three, right? Um, how about how confident I look on a doorstep, which affects my appointment and my ability when I come back, how much they already trust me. Do I know what I'm talking about? And if they don't have a copy of a bill and I got to call in to get the usage, do I look amazingly confident when I do that? Or do I look like I'm stumbling for the first time researching the phone number? No, I should already know the top five companies or the one company I'm going to be using. They should be in my speed dial. I already should have called the company multiple times before I ever got out there to navigate their system. Do I press one, seven, five? What's the fastest way to get an operator online? Do I already have that information? So that when I'm on a doorstep, I'm not stuck on my heels and it takes me five minutes instead of one minute to get an operator on the phone. So I look really, really good like I do this all day long, or I look like I'm doing it for the very first time. You know, and there's going to be people who study this stuff and they're going to show up and they're going to pull bills day one because they're just, they're already confident they already figured it out. And there's going to be people on day three who still haven't saved the phone number in their phone. And they're going to be wondering why these other people are performing. And it's like they, because they were ready for it. They were prepared. They already knew they had to change. They already started adapting. They already figured out the information that was going to be different. So they started studying it. They started learning it. They got way ahead of the curve compared to everybody else. Again, it's not if. The information's already there. It's not if. It's who and how fast. Who's going to adapt faster? And what, yeah, what's the speed at which they're going to get there? And what are they going to do first to get ahead of everybody else to raise themselves into the top 20, top four, top 1% or whatever they're going to fall in? And I like what you said earlier when you are talking about how after this month, there's going to be a couple of categories of people who are who are adapting this change, right? Which is right. Be, can you kind of go over that a little bit more about like the kind of categories of what? Where are the categories people are going to fit into based off adapting or not adapting? Yeah, no. I mean, I think you could bucket it into three people really quickly. There's going to be the people who are on this call, which first, good job getting on the call. There's people missing this right now. There's certain people that have received the message out on our our communication feeds and our text feeds, and their leaders have said, hey, there's an Instagram live today. today. Hop on and listen to it. And some of them didn't hop on, so they're not on the call. Some of them aren't of the of the ones on this call. Not everybody's even going to do what I just said. They're not even going to study the utility. Sorry, I know some of you won't do it. That's the dumbest thing about this. But some of you will, and that's category number one. These are going to be the ones that get ahead. These are going to be the ones that already see the change. They already understand they have to adapt. They already have the right, men- right mentality. And they're going to study their asses off over the next you know week and a half. And they're going to be as prepared as they possibly could have. It's category one. They're going to hit the ground running. You're going to have category two which is individuals who didn't do any of that. But when they get there, they see those who did, they gravitate towards them. They pick up off their energy. They decide to follow that group and they're going to be like, okay, I got to figure this thing out right now. And they're going to do a pretty good job of it because they've got a good attitude and they're at least going to follow others. And then you're going to have category three inevitably, which is those who didn't do much of the planning, didn't do much of the studying. They get there and they fall into the trap. They fall into the track of, of getting stuck. They fall into the trap of complaining, finding the negatives, focusing on the negatives, pushing back against the change, not adapting, wishing they could go back. They're stuck in the past in California on NEM 2.0 with all the urgency of the things. And it's all they're going to think about is these good times they want. And they're going to be so stuck that they're, they miss what's in front of them. They don't learn. They don't adapt. They don't. They don't expand their knowledge. They don't expand their value as a salesperson. They don't expand their 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 value in the solar space. You know, one thing I would say to everybody listening right now, you guys, is this is such a killer opportunity for you new guys, especially if the only thing you know is how to sell in California in a PPA, then you have a weak solar experience, right? Your 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 base of knowledge in the solar industry is super weak right now, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's just been your ability, your experience, and and it's been great, but. If you take me right now or somebody else that's got similar experience to me and you say, I'm going to go sell solar for 10 days 
I say where we're going, where we're going, and you name a state, I'm going to go, okay. I don't care. I don't care where you put me. I don't care if you put me in North Carolina where I've never knocked before. I don't care if you put me in, in Florida, which I've also never sold solar there before, or you drop me off in Texas where I have or California. It just doesn't matter. I've I've had enough change. I've been through enough adaptations from loans to PPAs and different markets. I just don't care. The one's not better. They're just different. And I'm going to figure out how to adapt. And this is an opportunity if you haven't had to do that right now to say, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be somebody who thinks in my head, I don't just drop me off. I don't care where I am. I don't care the neighborhood. I don't, if there's houses with doors and roofs, then we can sell solar. Um, we just have to go find the homeowners and we have to explain the value proposition. And it's just a little bit different for each one, but the core foundation is the same. It's just that small tweak, right? And what you want in your career is you want to be that person. You want to be the most valuable asset. You want to be the asset that can be dropped off anywhere, who is low maintenance, who learns how to adapt to change without, you know, you want to be in the in, in category one of the guys who are ahead of the game, who are learning, studying, getting ready and moving. That's the most valuable. You're the most valuable to your manager. You're the most valuable to your company. That's who they're going to want to be doing trainings. That's who everybody's going to look to. That's who's going to get the attention. That's who's going to have the highest production. They're in every single way, you want to figure out how to get into that category in every single way, right? So what would you say to reps who are, because there's a lot of talk of reps who are like um, now leaving California and they're nervous because now they're like, well, what's everyone else doing? Everyone else is freaking leaving California. Right. That means all these states are going to be slammed and I'm going to like run out because it's going to be so overpopulated. What would you say to those reps who are like all skeptical and nervous? Yeah. So now, now we're talking about competition and saturation, right? Now, before I hit on competition and saturation, I want to say one other thing, which is, um, we're talking a lot about leaving California. Here's the cool thing too. We got people staying in California. So much love to everybody who's staying because they're going to go, yeah, Crystal and team and, and there's a few others. Guys, you're in the exact same boat. You had a utility change in your market. You're staying in your market. Not like, But it's going to be a different value proposition, right? Now, if you're staying in some areas, it's not drastically different. But for the most part, the state's changing. The utility companies are changing. And that's going to happen in every market over time. Every utility company will make a change. We were there when it happened in Nevada. It's happened to me in Texas when I used to work there before. It's happened multiple times in California now. And every single time, what happens to the market? People adapt. People change. People figure it out. Some don't. They push against it. They quit. They, get, they, they think it's too hard, and so they don't. But inevitably, over the past 10 years I've been in solar, or eight years now, whatever it is, every single time there's been a change, that market inevitably sold more solar than it did in the past. I can't think of a market, even if they've made a change, unless it's been totally shut down. Like even Nevada though, the change was, was temporary and then it came back. It, it's, they're selling more solar right now than has ever been sold in that state. California, more solar has ever been more being, it's more being sold. Even with this change, we're going to see a dip for a while, but you watch over time, more solar will be sold in California than it's ever been sold. They're going to include batteries. They're going to be different. People are going to have to learn more about batteries. They're going to have to set different expectations with the install timelines because of those batteries. In some cases, there's going to be new financial products come out, you know, with, with different um, um, financers and PPA products specifically that loop all these things in and they're going to have to learn the new product and they're going to have to learn how to sell it different. And they're going to, it just, it never stops. There's always things that are going to come and they're going to change. And there's those who are just going to dev, develop a mentality that they adapt to change. And every time, this, this is the really biggest thing if I can get across. Every time a change comes, it's your opportunity to rise to the top. Every time a change hits is when you see separation, mm. right? And change equals opportunity. 
Differences equal opportunity. New products equal equal opportunity. New pricing equals opportunity. It does not matter what the change is. You're staring at opportunity because everybody else is so worried about it that they're not just going to let's go and they're rising to the top. You know, and I can think about so many times. I'll, I'll uh, I know you asked me a question about saturation and competition, so I'm going to come right back. But I'm just going to I'm going to rem- remind myself of a time and use this to 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 kind of just you know. Yeah, go back in the past a little bit, but I remember another time when I was selling security, and this was early on, and everybody had always sold at thirty nine ninety nine. That was the price to the consumer, and at the time, the company came in and said, "This year we're going to sell at forty nine. Right, we're up and at ten bucks. You would have thought the end of the world hit. All the veterans who had been there forever was like, "You can't sell at forty nine. That's impossible." Rookies came in, they didn't know any different. So they sold every account at 49 because that's just what you did, right? But this was, there was just this battle all year long, right? Like I remember, like people could not let it go. And they still had the ability to sell at that, but they would get deducted or they just made less commission and you made more, whatever the case was, right? But all those who just rose to it and, and just embraced the change, sold more, made more, like all of the things, right? The, the, there's so many times I can think back, but that's the point is, Every time a, a change comes, it's an opportunity to become a part of the category that rises to the top quicker because you get to figure out the change. And a lot of times it's the old dogs who fight the change because they're so used to it, they don't like the change. Yeah. They're more ingrained in it. So for up and coming new people who are like, oh, I'm so far behind. All these people are ahead of me. They've been here so long. They're so good. I'm not going to catch up to them for years. No, I'll tell you right now. You get a, a guy right now who's been in California for three years, and that's all they've done. Sorry to say it, like a lot of them are probably going to be kicking against the pricks. They're going to fight the change and say, "I'm not good enough," or "I can't." They're going to doubt themselves because they've only sold one market. Instead of saying, "Please, I figured out how to sell in the most saturated market in the United States, which is California. I figured out how to get through doors. I figured out how to overcome objections. I figured out how to present value." I, it's not about your market. That just happened to be the market you're in. So quit fighting the change, embrace it. Rise of the opportunity, and for new guys, this is your chance to catch up to people. This is your chance to be like, heck yes, this this helps level the playing field for me and for and for veterans. This is your chance to not be the veteran who does that. This is the chance to not be the guy who's like, oh no, I can't. This is all I know. Like, no, step up to the occasion. You're the veteran. You're the one that knows more. Don't be that guy who gets stuck in the past and rise up and lead all the new people and show them what's up. Show them it's okay. They're going to be looking to you in this moment. So. You and Spencer and Adam have done that since the beginning. I remember when I was learning to close, I, I remember that first Christmas party, you gave me a bathrobe because I had the highest DPC in the company. Like, yeah, you remember DPC was a 4.2 or something. And I said, really? That's I didn't even know. But I didn't even know any different. You didn't know any different. You taught me because I had never sold solar. And you're like, no, this is what we do. We always sell 10 to 15 bucks more than what people are currently getting. Okay. Yep. And that's all. You didn't know any different. So it's, it's yep. So Great that's example that's of that. Back to the example. All right, saturation and competition. What would you say to those reps who are nervous to go to Texas, Florida, Arizona, all these spots, Nevada? Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, I'd say the same thing that that I got told years and years ago, too. I'm going to go back to the security days because I saw the same thing. I remember in 2008, and I'm going to use Casey Baugh here as an example because Casey Baugh came and spoke to us Thursday, right? We all know he made his career off selling door-to-door. He built massive organizations at Vivint and turned it into something so unbelievable that, you know, when buyouts came along, he capitalized on that. Now he's turned into this, this mass investor, right? Worth a couple hundred million bucks. But in 2008, that was his first year at the time at Apex, which turned into Vivint eventually. Okay. 
That was my third year there. So I'd been there longer. I knew the systems better. I knew the processes better, right? And he was just coming in, right? And I remember in this, now I'm going to separate from Casey Ball. I remember a recruiting lunch though. Um, I don't even remember who it was, so it's irrelevant, but there were some guys who invited me to go meet with them because I'd been in the game for a few years. I was, I was one of the upper reps. And so I was, you know, always getting people reaching out to me to try to recruit me. And I remember sitting down at this lunch and I remember them specifically saying the security industry can't last. There's too many people doing that. There's no way this can continue. We're doing this other door to door company. It's going to be huge. We're going to grow it. And this, you know, is a different product irrelevant to, to this point. But again, over and over and over, they told me that it couldn't keep growing. It couldn't happen. There was too much saturation. There was too, there's too many teams on top of each other. Vivint sending three teams to the same market. Like there's no way you can't see growth in that. Right. And mind you, this is before they had ever sold. Now they've had three multi-billion dollar transactions since the time, right? And these guys are so just so not, so not abundant thinkers, so small-minded. Like the amount of people. Because we are in baby stages of the solar industry. Anybody who thinks, I'm going to a market, it's too saturated, I can't do it. First of all, if you're coming from California, get out of here. Like that's the most saturated market in the country. It has been for a long time, right? The difference is these other markets are filling it more because they hadn't heard about solar. So when you have 10, 15 teams come in, they're like, whoa, I'm getting overrun with solar people. No, you're just reaching the very, very beginning of what the solar market looks like. And the more it happens, the better. Why? Well, because when you first show up to a people, to a market, people don't think it's viable. It's not on their radar. They're not thinking about solar. Okay. And, and, and the saying it takes five times before somebody buys is absolutely true, right? It doesn't mean five times from you. So if I'm in a location where they've been hit up over and over and over and they've had 20 guys come by and they've listened to two of them and said, no, fantastic. They're one step closer to buying. They're just waiting for somebody good enough. They're obviously interested or they wouldn't set appointments. They wouldn't have listened to people. That means they were interested. They wanted some solar. But whoever met with them wasn't able to overcome their objections, wasn't able to present it in a clear enough way where they felt comfortable. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe they just hadn't seen enough people go solar because they're not early adopters. Maybe they didn't want to be the guinea pigs. Maybe they just needed to see a few more homes in the neighborhood go up before they felt confident, not just in the neighborhood. Maybe they needed to drive down the freeway a few more times and look off and start to see more and more solar popping up on the roofs before they felt like, oh, hey, all these solar guys stopping by saying that everybody's going solar. It's actually like, okay, this is actually happening. Maybe we should think about solar more. And then when the right guy shows up with the right training, knows how to build the right amount of trust, right? Explains it in a clear way, which hopefully you guys are watching the trainings and you're able to do that, right? And they're honest and upfront. Now they're thinking, shoot, this market is more and more people are going solar. Clearly there, there's good products out there to do it or so many people wouldn't be signing up. I've seen my neighbors do it. I've had 20 guys come by, which means it's getting more and more popular. I just need the right one now. And then you show up because a lot of times the right one's not the guy they finally call because they're not that motivated to do it. They're just waiting for the next guy to show up that actually has good product that they can trust the right time. So you guys, the more and more it gets saturated, the more and more the opportunity rises. And, and why? Because the more people going out there, I can promise you the masses aren't well-trained. The last guy wasn't as good as you, unless you're not that good either. Right? So this is your opportunity once again, to separate yourselves. This is when there's change, when there's a problem. And if the problem is quote unquote, in your mind, saturation, or it's been too knocked out. No, it's not even close. We're, we're so far from that moment. And, that moment actually doesn't even exist. 
The more people knocking, the better. It brings more attention to the solar industry. It's just your job to capitalize on it now and be the one that's a little bit better. And one thing I'll state too, this is something that really helped me is you don't need, right? Think how many people knock on a door and they say not interested and they just walk away. Or they get 30 seconds into their pitch, not interested, walk away. Or they get through a pitch, they set an appointment, and then they no-show the appointment and the customer never sits down. Or they get through the appointment, set an appointment, customer sits down, bad timing though. Kids are going crazy. It's just not working out. Maybe the husband doesn't show up for work on time. So they had an appointment, but they said no to it. But that's what it actually looked like. Or maybe it all happened and the appointment went great, but it was just their first time hearing it. So they weren't ready. Or maybe it all went down and timing at work wasn't good. The dude was in a bad mood for what, like there is 50 different reasons. You guys, you just have to get that much further than the last guy. And sometimes it was just timing anyways. It wasn't even the last guy's fault. It's just that much further, right? If last guy only got 30 seconds in, like you, you just need to get a little further and you might get an appointment that they didn't get. And if you last guy got to the home and it just didn't work out, like you just need to present it just a little bit better. Like it, it's no, there's no such thing as too saturated of a market. There's no such thing as competition's too stiff. There's too many companies. And what I would recommend you do on the doorstep for the setters, because that's the toughest time. That's really what you're talking about is how do I get more appointments? That's when market saturation affects you the most. So training tip here outside of just adapt and figure it out mentally. Training tip, when you knock on a door and somebody says you're the 20th guy here, you can say, yep, has anybody told you why so many people are finally coming by? Because you're going to get like 50 more. It's just going to keep happening more and more and more. Do you know why? Because in the past, solar wasn't great. It wasn't a good, a viable option. It was too expensive. I'm just going to go right back into the pitch. That's why so many people are here is there's finally a new product. And if your home makes sense, it's a no-brainer. That's why 20 companies are coming around because they know everybody's going to sign up. There's so much business here right now that everybody is coming through because they want it. And we're no different. We want to get the business from you. And I know eventually you're probably going to do it. It's just finding the right guy. So all I ask is you let me present the numbers to you. If it doesn't work, then I'm not your guy. But I think I can get it to a place who does. And most of your neighbors agree. That's why they've asked me to come over. Let me set an appointment with you. Let me be the guy to show you. And if I can't be, no big deal. You know, so it's like just just approaching it with a totally different mentality of like, no, this is the opportunity. That, that, it, the opportunity is all what you decide it is up here. And everybody else who kicks against it they get the same results, which is it's too saturated. Nobody wants to talk to me. No, it's it's all mental all the time. It's got, you Always. Keep hitting on this point, it goes hand in hand with adapting, but this job exposes people, right? You either get better or you get out of the industry because you can't make money if you're not good enough. And you're, that's what you're saying is level up. Like, like yeah. that's what adapting is, is get better. 100%. And then by time, like if you just keep taking that approach every single time, if every time a change comes, even if you're annoyed about it, even if you're pissed off about it, even if you're, like whatever, right? If if every time it happens, you just take that approach, do you know how much further ahead you'll be? To fast forward five years, and now think about all the times you have now to lean back on. It, it It's like, it's just creating stories for yourself, right? You're creating stories so that you can lean on those stories, and and in the future, it's just no big deal, Right? That's why, that's why Casey, by when he shared his thing on Thursday night, he's like, hey, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, we held, we had 20 million in the bank, I think is what he said, right? He had 20 million sitting in Silicon, Silicon Valley Bank and went out, of, went out of business. Now, Fed stepped in, saved them, whatever, right? But before that happened, a lot of companies who had money and like that, they didn't know. But what was his response to it? Do you remember? Yeah, he was like, we have to figure out the story. He walked into his team and he's like, okay, oh well. 
we're gonna figure it out. That's because he's figured out so many things. He, he he has such a mentality of adapting to change that even a twenty million dollar oh shit moment turned into we're gonna figure it out. That's what happened. That's how people level up to get to that place is they always take that mentality. And over time, they have so many stories where it just worked out. Everything was okay. That they stop worrying so much about every little change. Like those who learn to adapt to change are those who absolutely will rise to the top in everything. So it's like, just stop, stop, stop kicking against change. Like you have to start accepting it. You absolutely have to, if you want to level up. So yeah, that's, that's the message. Like level up change adapt let's talk a little bit about loans um and ownership options with solar you know coming yeah. from california you know i'm a huge fan of ownership options mm-hmm. solar on my own house but i'm curious just like uh for for the group just understanding a little bit the difference because i know some people are nervous about switching from just selling ppas to now moving into loans yeah uh, baselines and everything like that like what are the benefits of, that you see of why a loan is so much better than a ppa to sell as a product well, first, first thing I'll say is it's, it's not, yep. it's not better. They're just different. It's, it's the same as like a neighbor. Why is this neighborhood so good? It's not, it's just different. You just have to learn the value of it and then present it accordingly. It's like, there's nobody out there. I don't think I could sell PPA to even somebody who is just like diehard. I want to own. I could show them reasons why this could be good, but I could do the exact opposite too, because they're both great products. That's the truth. We're not competing loan versus PPA. That's not the competition. It's PPA versus a utility company or loan versus utility company. And they're both better. So that's the first thing. Remember like, Hey, you have two options. Both of them are better utility company. And now you might only have one and it's still better than the utility company. You win. It's, it's not hard. It's guys, we literally are in the easiest industry on the planet right now. Every single person is a customer because every single person pays a utility bill. Everyone already buys your product. Your product is electricity. Nothing more. It's not solar panels. It's electricity and everybody's already buying it. You just have to show them why you have a product that's better to buy electricity from you instead of somebody else. Now, in this case, the electricity is going to be, you know, created by themselves because they own it. So rather than talking about why one's better than the other, let's just talk about a couple of the key differences, right? They're both zero down up front. So if I'm a customer, I, I make no investment, right? It's either a zero down loan or a zero down PPA situation. Either way, that's pretty simple, right? We're not, we're not asking for any money from somebody up front. There's no investment. There's no initial charge. So when I'm on the doorstep for anybody who knows our door approach, like nothing to change for me. I'm still simply presenting that in the past, solar was really expensive. It didn't really make sense for a lot of people. It was hard. You had to do weird leases or liens on houses and a lot of complications. Sometimes the numbers didn't work. We have a new product. It's really, really simple. We just take your utility bill. We replace it with a solar payment that puts you in a lot better position. And we're setting appointments with those to show them what the differences are. So nothing really should change up front. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of change there. Now, once I get in the home, the closer is where they're going to be dealing with a lot of different change, right? So if I'm a, if I'm a setter setting appointments, you know, the type of changes I'm going to be dealing with or what we've already talked about in this training, which is, you know, understanding utility companies better, understanding the market I'm going to, and just having a mentality of like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to figure it out, yeah. right? And having the belief that your product is better than what the customer is buying today. If you have that belief you're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. You're going to set a ton of appointments because your product is better. You believe it's better and you're willing to adapt, change, keep pressing and not get negative and not push against the change, right? So now it's our closers going into the home and presenting a loan versus a utility company, not a loan versus a PPA. You're not even talk about PPAs anymore if you're in a loan market, right? So it's still zero down, no upfront, okay? PPA, 
you would present a fixed payment, but not a fixed payment because you typically had an escalator, right? Yeah. So now if I'm pitching a loan, I, I'm presenting an actual fixed payment that will never change for their entire life. There is so much value in that, you guys. So much value. Now, do I think the escalator on the PPA was bad? No, I don't. Because in most cases, the utility companies rise far more than that, and you were probably already cheaper anyways, so no big deal. But in this case, you guys, you got to know your utility company. Did they go up 0.9%, 1%, 3%, 5%? How much have they increased their rates over the last two years, to five years, 10 years? What does the volatility of that look like? And how much can you show the customer that they constantly change, whether it's small, it doesn't, small compounds over time. And when you're giving them a fixed payment, you can show that small compounds over time go like this and their payment's going to go like this. That's really easy to show anybody. So now you're talking about no upfront payment and a fixed payment and you can show this easily. And so the gap is your win. The gap is your value financially. And you can show that even if in the beginning there's none, you're already paying the bill anyways. Yeah. So if over time it's going to be better, that, that's why if you're paying $1,000 a month for rent and I presented an option for you to buy a home with zero down and $1,000 for your mortgage payment, it's a no-brainer. You're going to do it every single time. Why? Well, because now your $1,000 is going towards the mortgage every month instead of going to nothing. And that's what a solar loan is. And the next piece, you guys, is the biggest piece, and this is what you've got to learn to just smash both on the doors and in the home, is transferability. The number one concern people really have, it's not that they don't see the value in it. It's, well, I'm never going to see the benefit because I'm not going to live here long enough or I'm not going to be alive long enough or I'm not going to whatever. And it's like, look, again, you're already paying the bill. And now every payment's going towards the base of that. So if you're already paying it and it's about the same cost, who cares? Plus environmentally, if it's about the same cost and it's better and you don't have to spend any money and invest in it, why wouldn't you do your part? Like, let's help out. Let's, let's push that a lot more than you probably have in the past. So if you're showing up to a home and all you're trying to do is say your bill was this and I'm going to make it this, you're, you're going to lose. That's, that's not the value. You've got to be able to show them the long-term value and paint the picture long-term of savings, whether it's to them or future homeowners. And if they're not going to get as much of the benefit, you could touch more on environment. You can touch on the fact that they're already paying the bill. Let's have it go to yourself. Let's build value in this home. When somebody moves in, this is a massive selling point, not because they're going to save so, money, it's, so much money, it's crazy, but because you already did all the work for them. You already did all the work for them. The panels are already up on the roof. It's a super easy transfer of payment to the next person. There's no cost involved. They don't have to build it into the price of the loan. Well, what if I can't get my money back and pay off the loan? You don't have to do any of that. It just it, You just transfer the payment and you can get the tax benefit. So if you want, you're only going to be here for three years. Keep the tax payment. Let the payment go up a little bit. Well, what if the next homeowner doesn't want it? That's not going to stop them. If they just signed up for a full mortgage on this house and the payment's 30 bucks higher or 40 bucks higher because you kept the tax credit, that's not the difference of somebody moving into a home. They're just going to take it and move on. And I actually think you, you, you just went through this like what, how long ago? Yeah, in May last year. All right. So May last year, this is such a good example. I know we will have another five minutes or so before we round off our hour. But May last year, you bought a home, right? Yep. And obviously you're in the solar space. So there's a little bit of bias there, but you could have got solar way cheaper if you did it on your own because you work for a solar company. You could sell it to yourself at super cheap, right? Yeah. But you bought a home knowing that whoever that homeowner was bought it from somebody else at full price, yeah. which you sell that to people every day. So you kind of got to get behind that too. But you walk up to this home. Did you really care what the payment was? You wanted the knowledge to know what it was, but was it going to change your buying decision? No, I wanted to make sure it was good. I remember I asked the neighbors. And I was like, hey, what are you paying? What are you paying? And they'd be like, but when it really came down to it, like, yeah. Right. If it was within 50 bucks, it's, that's not going to be the difference maker of somebody getting a home. 
And so you got to be able to help your customers understand like, no, that didn't exist in the past for the record. You did have to sell the system, add it to the value of the home. And if you didn't add enough value to the home to sell it for it, to pay your loan off, then you'd still own the loan. And that was a problem. The future homeowner would have got the benefit because they'd have no payment because it'd be paid off, but it would have either been paid off by you, you know, or not. And that would suck. But now that's not the case. We just have transferable loan payments. And how easy was it to transfer the loan into your name? I was literally talking to the city. Yeah, I really want to pay attention to this because I sell this every day. Mm -hmm. I want to know like the process of when I sign it. He's like, yeah, we'll let you know. Went to the title company, signed a billion papers like normal. And I was like, so where's the solar? Like, oh, you already signed it. Done. Okay. So it was like one quick signature, took like five minutes to transfer, 10 minutes, whatever it was. Like it's a simple transfer. So you need to believe number one, there's no upfront payment. That's an amazing product for a customer. It's a fixed payment. There's no escalator. That's even a, a more amazing product for a customer if you're comparing it to a PPA in that situation. It, it's a transferable payment. The customer can never get stuck in some situation where they're going to have to pay off the loan. Like that, it's not scary. This isn't a big deal. And they were already paying a utility bill. And whoever moves into the house is expecting to pay a utility bill. And if you can show them your old utility bills and your new solar panel, it's not, it's easy. Now you're pitching ownership versus non-ownership. And at the end of the day, you're talking to a homeowner who chose ownership over non-ownership. So what do you think they, they, they fall in line more with? Ownership. So now you're presenting ownership to people who already like ownership. So you're already speaking the same language. The last thing that's going to be the biggest change when you get to a loan, and this is, this is very important that you understand this. And again, if you're not on this call, that's unfortunate. But if you are and you're listening right now and you don't do this, this is another thing that is your fault for doing no specific research and understanding this tax credit. You have got to understand the tax credit like the back of your hand. You got to go on Google and research it and understand what it means. Read it. Don't just take from what your other, you know, sales guy in your office said or your manager, like do your own research so you really know it and you know where to find it. So if the customer has any questions, you have an exact resource online to just pull up and say, yeah, this is, this is how it works. Don't just have it come from your own mouth. Know where to find resources that are like legitimate on government websites. They tell you every detail about it. It's not complicated, but you need to understand it and you need to be honest and upfront when you talk to people and you ask them, what's your taxable income? Do you have enough of a taxable income? How much did you pay last year in taxes? Well, I don't know. What do you think you paid? What's your average income? And don't be shy about asking people questions like that. Like those are confident questions. You need to say, what's your average income? What do you normally pay in taxes? And the reason I'm asking this is I want to make sure you're eligible for the tax credit. And this should be done early on, not on the doorstep, but you know, right when a customer gets there. Because in most cases you're working in neighborhoods with homeowners who make enough money to, to be eligible. So, but you still, you're going to run across some who aren't and you need to know how to qualify them, right? You need to know how to ask the right questions and make sure you never put somebody in a position that they're not going to receive a tax credit when you gave them a quote based on receiving it. You know, so do your homework on tax credits. No, no, you know, know your shit on that. We're going to open it up for questions. If you guys want to post your questions now for Tyler, any questions you want to ask the CEO to kind of get uh, clarification on direction and also uh, just help on the home and switching in new markets. But yeah, I love that. We're right at, we're right at 12 and uh, I don't have a meeting following up. So if we got some open-ended ones, we can keep rolling for a minute and anybody else can hop off if you're, if you're bored and, while everyone's, while everyone's posting, I just wanted to kind of end with this question. This is something we're really trying to, this is something we're really trying to hammer home, but in, you're notorious for your, your time at Vivint having zero bad customer reviews and having ridiculously good pull through with your jobs. What expectations do you set in the home to be able to have those, to have that kind of pull through and also have that kind of customer experience? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and speaking to loans specifically or, or on average, like my, my pull through is always about 70, 80%. So it's like, there's people who are better than me 
um, no doubt, but it was always very high volume. So pulling that many through with high volume, I felt pretty confident in, but it's nothing like, it's nothing too overly complicated. You know, um, I know my flow in the home. There's the first thing I know my flow and I know my flow well, and my flow is built to create a ton of value, not around price. Price is the last thing. By time, I know before I've ever mentioned the price of the customer, I, I, I 99% know if I'm getting this customer and, and if they're going solar or not. I usually know that within the first like 30 minutes and they haven't even seen their design of their system on the house, right? I'm going to get into the home. I'm going to ask them why I'm here. Why did you even invite me over? What do you have interesting you in solar? What, what's, what are you even willing to have a meeting with me for? Because they, they invited you over to the home. Guys, when I was selling security back in the home, like we're trying to same day slam it on, install. Like, no, this is an appointment that they invited you over to their home. Enough value was created by the setter. Good job to those knocking on the doors. Enough value was created that they're willing to meet with you and invite you into their home for a set time. If that's not like the warmest lead situation you could ask for, I don't know what is. So now you're there. Find out why. Find out why they did that. You know, those hot buttons of why they invited you in, I'm either tired of the utility company or I'm interested in solar. Like you need to know what about solar intrigues them and ask them specific questions. Is it like environmentally, is this something that you care or is like that not matter to you at all? Is it just savings and financial gain that you're hoping for to get out of this? Um, are you tired of, of kind of being controlled by the utility companies regardless of what they do? Like you can't really change it. You just have to pay a bill, right? And I'm hitting on three things. Control environment, savings. Those are the three tiers of why people go solar primarily. So in the beginning, I want to ask them why and get them talking about it to me. If I can just get the customer to open up and tell me why they want it before I even go into anything, that's super helpful. Obviously, I'm also going to ask, hey, you've either met with people in the past or thought about solar. What stopped you from calling and getting it? What stopped you from signing up with the last guy? What's, what's held you up? Or what have you heard from others that makes you worried about going solar kind of scares you about it? Let's get their objections out on the table, right? And let's write those things down. Let's make sure you're really clear on why they like solar, what 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 they're into it for, and and why they don't. So you know what objections you're going to have to come over or overcome throughout your, your flow. Next, um, just the solar movement. I'll build a ton of value around the solar movement in general. And I'm going to do that by presenting that in the past, solar movement wasn't strong. It was weak. Because the product wasn't right yet financially. It was expensive. It was all these things. It was way more than people's bills didn't work out. Um, but now it's different. And then I'm going to make sure they know all, and this is kind of going back to the pitch on the door, but if I'm a closer, I'm in the home now, I've got to reiterate all the reasons the setter got them to meet with me. I need to cover on the fact that it's no longer expensive up front. I need to cover on the fact that we can give them, a, you know, fixed cost probably. I'm not even, I, you know, we're not even pulling up the numbers yet, but we're going to stabilize and create a lot more control, right? Um and then I love relating it to the cell phone industry. I really, really love giving them just a perception of, hey, do you remember when cell phones were old and big and clunky and they didn't look good and they didn't transfer anywhere well? You couldn't take them with you. It was hard to deal with and they were really expensive. How many people bought them? What percentage? And inevitably, people say like one, maybe 5%. I'm like, yeah, almost nobody, right? What happened the day they became free and the monthly payment for them replaced your home phone line? What percentage of the population got them? everybody. And that's what they'll say every time. And I'm like, this is the exact same as solar. Everybody had a home phone line. Everybody has a utility company. Everybody wanted a cell phone, but they were too much. And you couldn't take them around very well until that changed and they got them. Now there's no upfront cost for solar, just like there was no upfront cost for a phone. And the payment's about the same. The day it gets to a point where it's about the same 
and everybody financially can do it without without having to invest or change their day-to-day, and everybody can help the environment without having to invest or do their day-to-day, what percentage of the population do you think is going to go solar? What do you think their their answer is? And now when they've told you that everybody's probably going to go solar eventually, like how much more are they in the mindset of like, oh, this is happening for sure now? Yeah. They're the ones who just told you. So I'll hit a bunch. You know, I want to know their hot buttons and objections. I will really drive home the solar movement of why it hasn't exploded and why it is exploding now and growing so fast and why it's the biggest transfer of wealth, you know, in the history of our country. Because of all, I'm getting them on the train before I've even talked about anything. Before I've even looked at their bill, I'm, I'm helping them understand the only reason I'm in your house is this is working for everybody now. It would be if I was in your home in 2001 telling you you can get a cell, an iPhone for free or a cell phone or whatever, like without paying a dollar. Yeah. That's what this is right now. That's where we are in the solar industry. If you can get them to that point, it's so powerful because you, you haven't even touched on anything else yet, right? Then I'm going to go into their bill. Then I'm going to get them emotional around the utility company and all the charges they have and all the little knickknacks and all these things. Yeah, build the pain up, help them feel a little bit of emotion in the contrast to what they have versus what I'm going to show them. Um, then I'm going to really dive into the why going solar control environment savings. You know, if they're, they're, they're deregulated, everybody's so sick of having to pick between 300 companies who change their price and they have to switch contracts and yeah. constant change or they stick with one and they jack their price up, right? Or they can only choose one because you're in a market where it's regulated and there's only one utility company and they've had a monopoly on them forever. They've had no choice. There's only one landlord to pay and they control the price. And no matter what they do, you got to pay it. And in a controlled atmosphere, I control it. And if you own it, you control it. You control the price forever. You will always have that control, you know? So you're going to you're gonna really crank on that hard um, environment. Same thing. I kind of already touched on that control. I'm going to hit on net metering and make sure they understand how it offsets their bill in a clear way so it's easy. Um, then I'm going to show them the system design, and then I'm going to crank on expectations. And when I talk about expectations, and this is really, I know where I'm answering your question. I've, I've done the long-winded version, but the whole point is you have to know your flow, and you have to know all the different areas you can build value along the way, and you have to spend time in those areas asking tons of questions, getting them to be super engaged because the value just stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. So by the time I'm an hour in, I still have not showed them their system design. They don't know what panels are getting, how many, where they're going to go. That like That's not even a part of the conversation. We're just talking about all of it. Then I get to that and I'm like, oh, by the way, side note, here's how many panels. Here's why. Here's where we've chosen to put them. Here's what it's going to produce. Now, remember when we went through all 12 months of your bill? And I, I spend a lot of time on the math on their bill. I yeah. really make sure I say, do you see how I got this usage from this month? Does that look accurate to you? Cool. Do you see how I got this one and this one and this one? Yeah. Do you see when I added them up, it equals this number? Do you think that number is correct? I get them to agree with my math. That's really big. You know, because customers, if they feel like you did the math and they don't trust you yet, it's a big deal. So I spend a lot of time in the math section. So by the time I get to the bill, I've spent a ton of time on math. I've spent a ton of time building emotion around control environment savings built a ton of emotion around the solar movement, but a ton of, a ton of emotion around their bill. Um, and I've also touched on the fact that I'm like, hey, even if I get, at, at the very beginning, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping around on this question a little bit, but right in the beginning of my, of my uh, you know, conversations with them, I also let them know that, hey, I'm here to sign you guys up today, just so you know, that's part of my process. Like, I intend you sign up today, but it's not because I want to like get you going on something fast and like sign you up. So let me be clear. Um, I don't know if today's going to work out for you yet. But if it does and all the numbers match up the way they need to and we can get to a place where we have a lot of trust for one another and you understand why this deal makes sense, um, there's a lot of steps in solar. 
and it's not an overnight thing. So even if you guys are really excited by the time I get done, I have to tell this to all my customers, even if you're really excited, it's going to take me a while to do this for you. So I'm already, I'm already pulling back in the beginning, like, Hey, just, you know, now that this new product's available, like when I touch on the solar movement, I'm like, everybody's going solar. You're probably going to want to too, now that you understand it, but I can't do it very fast for you. Just know it's going to take a while. Step one is just agreeing on the numbers, making sure this adds up for you. Um, and signing off on what we agree to, that allows us to take all the next steps that we're going to have to go through, and it's going to take us a while. And then I and I touch on all the steps at the beginning of the sale. So I'm going to touch on site survey. Then we're going to come over and do an inspection. We're going to communicate with your city to get permits. We have to do everything by the book. We can't skip any steps. A lot of companies out there will like just go grab permits, and then you have an unpermitted structure, and that can really bite you in the ass. Like we do everything by the book. That then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're, this might take us like three or four months, you guys. So I want you to know, even though you might get really excited by the end of this, please don't get too excited because it's going to take us time. And I, I don't want you like expecting this is going to happen overnight. So let me ask you about that because a lot of people sign people up for site surveys. Like, hey, we're right. getting this started. So kind of talk, maybe talk a little bit more about yeah. that, like, real deals versus site surveys. There's a very big difference between, so let's just do this so that we get the site survey so we get the next step. <laughs> no. No, I'm setting it up to where they want it so bad. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, but I can't, you know, I can't even get you there yet. These are all the steps we have to go through before we're ever, we're going to be able to get this done for you. So today, you know, I, I don't want you to sign up if everything doesn't make perfect sense. I just want you to know that when we arrive to that place, these are all the steps we still have. There's still some homework to be done to make sure we're going to be able to do this for you. And I obviously expect that you guys are going to do your research and ask me questions. But I have the expectation that if you come up with a question, you're going to call me. And if I can't resolve it, we're going to press pause for a minute and, and vice versa. But we're not moving forward unless this makes really, really good sense. And we yeah. both have the expectation that we're doing business together. My communication is very serious to me. So I set the expectation of the, of the, you know, the process of the deal in the beginning. And then I do it again for a second time after I've covered all the prices and I'm, and I'm signing them up, right? So one more thing, yeah, I do it hard in the beginning and hard at the end. So one more thing I want to cover is all the steps now that we've gotten to this place and we can see that this obviously makes sense. And I haven't, I haven't signed them up yet, right? But I'm going to use language like that. Now that we can see that this obviously makes sense and we've gone through all this together, now you can see why so many people are to the place where it's like they're really excited to sign up. And I kind of have to temper those expectations so that you guys aren't you know, expecting this tomorrow. It's going to take me a while. So let me remind you the steps we're going to be going through. So the first thing is in just a second, I'm going to send you an email. We're going to click through the DocuSign on that, agreeing to these prices that I've just shown you. The next step is we're going to schedule a time for a site surveyor. So I go through these, but I'm telling them like, this is now what we're going to do. You're going to get an email in just a minute. So I don't just send them an email and I'm like, okay, now sign up. And all of a sudden all this pressure comes on. I've just told them, the next step is you're going to get an email with a DocuSign. You've probably done DocuSign before, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to say no to that. I'm like, okay, so you know how easy that is, right? Cool. The next step from there is we're going to get with our schedulers on the phone. They're going to do a welcome call with you to make sure I was honest. I did my job correct. I covered all the things I was supposed to. And there's nothing I've missed. So if they say anything that I haven't mentioned, um, please let me know because I, I take that serious that, you know, that's that's where trust really comes in. The next thing is they're going to schedule time with you to have our inspector come over to check the roof, the attic. Again, we do everything by the book. We want to make sure we go. Th so I take my time on these steps and I really lay out the outline and the expectations for like what's happening next, what they can expect during that step. Like what does a site survey look like? I don't just say we're scheduling a site survey. It's like, what are they going to do? How long is the guy going to be there? Is he going to come in the house? Is he going to look at the roof? Is he going to go in the attic? Why does he need to look at the attic? What's he doing? What's, what's, what about the electrical panel? How old is yours? I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to go look at it. 
Let's get them engaged during this time. Like, let's keep this thing going. Let's not just rush through, you know, so I'm going to take time on each one of those steps. By the time I get to paperwork, like, it's just like this assumed thing and so much value has been built. I'm just like, cool. Yeah. Just click through that real quick. There's, there's, there's hardly ever any pressure that arises at that moment. You know, not to say there never is, but, but pretty rare. And then if they ask, they're like, okay, so we could just cancel anytime. I'm like, well, look, if, if you're even thinking about that, then we're, we're on two different pages. We should discuss that for a minute. My expectation is we move forward that no, you have no intention of canceling unless like we disqualify your house. Or if you find something that is like way off basis that we haven't discussed here today. Now, can you think anything that's like off basis here? And then I'm going to have a real conversation with them and get them back to a place where we're like, no, we're either on the same page. Let's move forward. Or we're not. I'm not signing you up for a site survey. If you're mentioning the word canceled, we better have a serious conversation right now. Um, but I got to do that with a lot of confidence and a lot of like just very clear. You got to show them all the steps. If you're jumbled and you're all over the place and you don't know your flow, it shows lack of confidence, lack of clarity, and they're not going to feel super confident. When you walk out of the house, they're going to lose all that because it wasn't, it wasn't that clear in the first place. And then I'm going to set very clear expectations for my communication. I'm going to let them know, hey, you're going to hear from me twice a week. Do you want me to call you? text you or email you. What's your, what's your preference? Cool. Here's why you're going to hear from me. I'm going to give you updates on your project, regardless of nothing's changed. Like for example, permitting times, this might take three weeks where nothing's happening. We're literally not doing anything because we have to wait for your city. It's out of our control. During those three weeks, I'm still going to text you and say, Hey, just checking in. Just wanted to remind you, your project's still in permitting. There's no updates. Just let me know if you have any questions. What that does is it creates an expectation that they're going to hear from me. Then I have to go follow through on it. And the cool thing is every time I text them twice a week, right? I've got my, my, my structure set aside for my pipeline pull through. Every time I text them a couple times a week, it opens the door if they have a question because now they trust me. They know I'm going to keep reaching out. So like it, it yeah, the worst is when I, when I hear a rep, they're just like, well, I don't want to contact them, right? I don't, I don't want them to like bring up a concern. You're like, well, you, you just, you like turn your head and hope it's all going to work out. Like, no, they need to trust you. They need to be able to call you. And I commit them in the home too. Hey, if you guys come up with a question or a concern, or there's ever a moment where you don't feel like this is 100% the absolute best decision for your family, can I just ask one thing? Can I have your word and I'll put my hand out? Can I have your word that you're going to call me and we can have a conversation and I'll have the opportunity to discuss it with you? Can I have your word? And I'm going to handshake and I'm going to commit them to those things. So, but then I got to follow through my communication. So very, very long winded answer to your question of how do I set expectations in a home? But I set them first by building a ton of value, being on the same page about what they're agreeing to. And then, them knowing all the steps and how frequently I'm going to call them through those steps. So I'm sure we have a couple more questions. I'll, I'll, I'll do the rest ones uh, a lot quicker in responses. If, well, we got it. We got yeah. actually got to end up because we have the RM call coming up, but that's true. We do have the call. Give a little love in the feed for Tyler Bastion, having him on the call. I freaking love having you. Love everything yep. you do. Ben, thanks for uh, organizing all these vital lives, man. They're absolutely awesome. You do a great job of uh, lining up all the questions, keeping the flow going. So thanks, everybody who tuned in. I don't know how, how many we had on, but hope there was something everybody got out of it. Oh, man, you're getting a lot of love in the chat. So appreciate everything you do for the company, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to Vital Live. Join again next week. And we have Perfect. Nick Sorensen. So. Oh, that's going to be money. Nick's the man. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.